0: Hey, um, we're jumping back in. This is week four of our series Out of Egypt. We're really journeying with the Israelites as they are exiting the the irony of the, the title of the book, right? Exodus. They are exiting Egypt. They are getting out of there. And tonight we are in the most epic of epic moments for the Israelites it's the parting of the Red Sea. How many of you have heard this story before? Three of you. All right. Uh, I mean, hopefully the majority of you. If you've never heard this story, I'm going to do a really five-minute, like, recap of the whole story. I'm going to story tell it for you. And then we're going to jump in. And there are four truths that I want us to understand about this passage that I think is going to be really, really cool. There are so many different applications of this story, but this man over here needs a what, what do you need? We need a talk sheet. You? you need a pencil. You need, something, you need something to write with these people over here. Um, we got you. Come on. Uh, and the, so uh, I'm going to give you a little brief story on what is going on in the life of the Israelites as they are out of Egypt. They are leaving Egypt. And this is the moment when they cross the Red Sea and they're saying bye-bye to Egypt and see you later, bye. Um, pretty cool. So Exodus 13 and 14 is where we're going to be tonight. And so here we go. You ready? Uh, I'm going to start and basically verse 10 and 12. So as you see the Israelites, they have been let go. Pharaoh has finally relented and said, go, take everything. You could take everything. And the Egyptians, or the Egyptians are literally giving the Israelites their stuff. Like you could just take it and go, just get out of here. Uh, all these plagues, all these things that are going on, y'all, y'all just, y'all, you have to go. And so guess what? Moses, and this is after the big Passover moment when all the firstborn die in Egypt. And it's a very sad night, but Pharaoh lets them go and they're on their way out. They get up the next morning in very quick pace and they leave Egypt. They leave uh, Goshen, their area, their their land where they're living and they're on the run, literally on the run in the desert. And while they're in the desert, they don't take the short way out. They take the long way out because they're afraid of the Philistines because if the Philistines get close to the border, the Philistines will cause war on them. And so they take the long way. There's a reason. God has a plan. He always has a plan. And they're, they take this little spot. They take the long way. They get to the, right to the Red Sea, and they actually... If you if you track it just a bit, they come out of Egypt, right down the uh, kind of the, the Nile River down to the Red Sea, and they do a little jog, out of the way, and then come back to the sea. And they're at this spot where their backs are to the Red Sea, and all that's in front of them is the vast desert. And the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night has guided them to this spot. And this is the spot of intrepidation. For the Israelites, because they see a dust cloud that's on the horizon. And as they come up over the horizon, Pharaoh and all of his troops and his chariots and all the spears and the arrows and all the things are coming down the mountain, and they're coming after the Israelites to kill them. Now remember, there's a pillar of fire and a cloud by day that's been guiding them to the spot. And in chapter 14... And verse 10, I want us to look at this. It's not on the screen, but if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to read it. But it says, As Pharaoh approached, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were coming after them. And they were frightened. And in some other translations, it says terrified. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Never. Put God in a box. Never put God in a box. Here's a little tip. All right, you ready for this? When you allow your fear to paralyze your feet, you automatically put God in a box. When you allow your anxiety, When you allow the fear that is created in your circumstances or your world and you find your feet in paralyzation, you no longer are trusting the God of the universe to hold your life together. Therefore, you are putting God in a box. That's a deep thought for y'all. I never thought of it that way. I didn't think that fear put God in a box because it did. Because you no longer trusted him. You no longer trusted him to handle your circumstance and your situation. You allowed your fear to do that. You you thought you could better control it. And when I'm out of control, I lose, I get fearful, right? Anxious, and I put God in a box. And so you can only do this much. Never put God in a box. In a box. I have used that phrase every single week of this series. Why? Because it's true. The Israelites put God in a box. And in this moment, this is so wild, there's a pillar of fire in front of them and a cloud that's guiding them. But yet, when they see a little dust cloud of Pharaoh, what happens? Oh, we're going to die. Wait a minute. Did you just not see? you not see what's going on? Did you see how God protected you through the plagues? Did you not see the work of God all over this situation and you're going to let your fear paralyze you? It goes, on, it goes on in verse 11. And then Moses said back to them. This is great. It is because... There were no grave they said to Moses there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. Why have you dealt with us in this way? You bringing us out of Egypt. Is this not the word that we have spoken to you in Egypt saying leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Would it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness? They are rejecting everything they asked God for in the first place. At the very beginning of this whole story, they were begging God that they would release out of slavery. They were begging God. They were pleading to God. And God heard their cry and sent Moses. But yet in the moment of intrepidation when the little Pharaoh's armies are coming down in a dust cloud and fear, Ooh, ah, what do they do? They paralyze themselves and they cry out to God and said, why did you do this to me? And in that moment, they put God in a box. And they said, you know what, God, you just, you have not met my expectations. You have not done what I expect you to do. And therefore I'm disappointed. And I don't believe. Y'all, we do that every day, don't we? We do exactly what the Israelites do every day. There's going to be a moment, some of us in our day, where fear comes in and we start writing the story of what we believe should be happening. And it doesn't. And therefore we sit back and we look at God and we put our fists up to God and said, why? Why did you do this to me? Why are you holding it back? We're doing exactly what the Israelites did in this moment. We are the Israelites. Y'all, we are the Israelites. And I believe it about this culture. There's more fear and anxiety in this culture than ever before in the times past. At least it's more revealed. At least it's more talked about. You guys talk about mental health more in this generation than my generation, that's for sure. And many of you are dealing with that. You're dealing with fear. You're dealing with anxiety and you're finding yourself in this paralyzed fear where you cannot move. And you are the Israelites. And there are so many different applications to this, to this story that I picked this one on purpose. And I hope that tonight, the encouragement that I'm fixing to give you as you dealing with your fear and your anxiety, and you see what the Israelites did and how they responded to what God did for them, I pray that you will hear some truth tonight, at least something, that will cause your faith needle to move just a little bit. You know what I'm talking about, that, right? Your faith needle needs to move just a little bit more. And so here the Israelites are stuck against the water, seeing a great army coming down after them. And Moses, in verse 13 and 14, says one of the greatest phrases ever. And I think every one of us need to highlight this, underline it, circle it in your Bible, whatever you do, put your little yellow highlighter on your app, verses 13 and 14. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will perform for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again. This is my favorite part. This is my favorite line. This is my favorite line. You ready? The Lord will fight for you. You only got to keep silent. Do not fear. Let me fight for you. Keep silent. If you're struggling with fear and anxiety in your life, let the truth of God's word right there. Let it sit right there. And now is the time for you to make a decision whether you're going to believe God's truth or you're going to reject God's truth. Never put God in a box. Please never do it. So the Israelites, backs against the wall, literally, or backs against the water. And then all of a sudden, God goes to work. He goes to work. And that's the big story, the big point that I want all of us to understand is that God is always, always at work and always, always has a plan. When you don't think he does, a.k.a. the Israelites, he always does. He, even with your life, he always is at work. And he always has a plan. And if you read scripture in the totality of it all, you see the work and the plan of God as he's redeeming creation and redeeming the sin in our world all the way to Revelation 21. And you could see that he always, always has a plan. And he's always at work. Four things, ready? Ready? Here we go. Number one, we need to first recognize the work of God. Recognize the work of God. No longer should you have your head in the sand. No longer should you be sitting idly by. But look around. In the middle of your fear, in the middle of your anxiety, in the middle of the paralyzation of your heart and your mind, look up. Look up and look around. And see the work of God. Recognize the work of God around you. He's always at work and he always has a plan. And what he's going to do is always going to be good. Always going to be good. It may not be what you think, but I think it should be what he thinks. If he's the one that's got it all together, don't you think he should be the one telling us what to do and when to do it and how to do it? That's that's an amen right there, right? But we got to look up and to see what God's doing we got to look up and look around and recognize the work of God on your heart and your life. Sit in the presence of God and just let him speak to you. Let him just be there for you in the middle of your loneliness, in the middle of your depression, in the middle of all those things that you may be dealing with. Recognize that he's always at work. He's always got a plan. Verses 19 and 20, it says, Then the angel of God... Who had been going before the camp of Israel moved, and went behind them, and the pow- and the pillar of cloud moved from where the before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of, e- of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was a cloud during the darkness, but yet this is so amazing, gave light at night. Therefore, the one didn't. No one approached all uh, the all uh, the other all night. In other words, they, there was a roadblock between the Egyptians and the, and the Israelites. There's this roadblock, and this roadblock was pretty miraculous. Because it was dark on one side of the cloud, but it was light on the other side of the cloud. If you cannot see the work of God, if you're Israelite in that moment, if you can't see the work of God, you are blind. Literally, that's crazy. And here's what I love. It was so obvious It was so obvious to the Israelites. And guys, when we look up, when we look up from our fear and our anxiety and our depression, and we look up, we will see the work of God every single time. You'll recognize it. You'll see it. I promise. Especially for the believers in the room. Especially for the believers in the room. He loves you, cares for you, desires to be in a relationship with you. Number two, we recognize the work of God. Next, we need to allow the work of God in our lives. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you while you keep what? Silent. We need to allow him to do the work. So the Israelites could, are helpless Egyptians. Red Sea. What do I do? I can't swim. So I got to do, God's got to do something, right? I'm done. Like I I cannot in my own effort, I can't fight these guys and I'm sure not an Olympic swimmer. Plus I'm, I'm afraid of what's under the water, right? There might be some big fish that's going to eat me or something, you know? Um, you, you might have some fear about swimming. You know, I'm sure some Israelites weren't the greatest swimmers, and they looked at that and went, ain't no way I'm going there. And so they're stuck. So the only thing they can do, the only thing they can do, is allow the God of the universe to do what only He is good at doing. And He is there to save them. He's there to protect them. And He's going to do a work that's going to blow their mind. And so we need to, and and the application for us is that we need to allow God to fix our problem. Allow him to do it. Open your heart, open your mind to the reality of what would happen if I fully surrendered my situation to him and let him handle it. And allow him to do the work in my life instead of me. Yes, I probably need to invite some people to help me in to deal with my anxiety, to help me some, get some wise counsel. But would you allow the Lord to put people in your life that would help you, guide you through that? Would you allow Him to do the work of having a professional come in and maybe help guide you? That's allowing God to do the work. Would you allow God to convict you of sin? And maybe the sin is what's paralyzing you. Maybe you are so overwhelmed with the sin that you have got going in your heart and your life and you're under this control thing. I'm fixing to get into that in just a second. But would, would you just allow God to convict you of that sin and lead you in his kindness toward repentance? That would be amazing. That would be a miraculous work of God. Would you allow God to do the work? Number three, I'm moving quick because I need to. Trust the work of God. We recognize it. We allow Him to do what only He's good at doing, and then we trust Him to do it. All of them were paralyzed in fear, but Moses, Moses was not paralyzed in fear. Moses, the great leader he was in the moment, literally heard all the gripes and complaints and says, You need to keep quiet. And let God do the work. And Moses turns around and opens his staff and his arms to the big red sea that's right behind him. And says, today is the day of salvation for his people. And then, the seas part. And I love it. Because when the seas parted, they had to trust it. They had to trust it. Can you imagine stepping onto a seabed, right? That has no water in it anymore. Huge walls of water on either side of you. You have to trust it, right? You have to trust it. I have to believe that God is holding back the waters for me. I have to believe it. I have to trust it. I can't take this step unless I believe without a shadow of a doubt that that's not going to kill me. Oh, gosh, there's so much truth here, y'all. Come on, right? Oh, interesting fact. This is really cool, right? I did a little thought, like, on this whole parting of the sea thing. Like, there were 600,000 men that came out of Egypt, right? 600,000 men. You can read that in Exodus 12. 600,000 men. That's just the men. That's a lot of people. Guess what the population of Memphis is? 650,000. Okay, so that's how many men. I'm just kind of putting it in perspective for you. The whole city of Memphis, okay? Whole city of Memphis. 600,000 just men. I did a little bit of math. If every one of those men had one wife and two kids, which is average, but here's the thing. If you read through Scripture, you read through the story, the Israelites liked having babies, okay? I, I talked about that in week one, right? How the midwives tried to stop a, you know, they, Pharaoh tried to kill all, and I said, no, they were just populating the earth, and that's what they were doing. So I just went on the, on the, on the low side. So a family of four. If you do the math, that's 2.4 million people. That's 2.4 million people. Standing at the Red Sea, hemmed in by Pharaoh's army. Okay? 2.4 million people. I did a little bit more math. I was like, this has got to be really amazing. That doesn't include their livestock. Okay? That doesn't include, like, the, the Egyptian plunder, right, that they got. So there's carts, and there's animals, and there's goats, and there's cattle, and the sheep, and the, you know, the little... Baby ducks, I'm probably, I don't know. Uh, they, so they got everybody. 2.4 million. Some scholars say it's up over three, but I went with the conservative side, 2.4. Here's the thing I was like, I wonder how long it took the Israelites to go across the sea. You ever wondered about that? If it took 2.4 million people, how long would it take for them to get across the Red Sea? How wide would it have to be? I just did a little bit more math. If 2.4 million people were shoulder-to-shoulder, shoulder, right, shoulder-to-shoulder, shoulder, 30 deep, okay? So shoulder-to-shoulder, shoulder, 30 feet, 30 deep, and lined up every three feet, okay? So 30 people shoulder-to-shoulder, shoulder, which is about maybe, I don't know, probably, yeah, it would be that whole row. There's about 30 chairs there. So if you can imagine just a row, shoulder-to-shoulder, shoulder, every three feet was a, a line of 30 people, million people would would go 36 miles deep. Okay, that's halfway to Jackson, okay? That's like the Brownsville corner if you're going down 40. You know, that's a line of people that goes from my house, Cordova, Tennessee, to Brownsville, Tennessee, 36 miles away. Shoulder to shoulder, 2.4 million people. Not including, I'm just saying people, not including the cattle, not including all the other things. I did a little more math with this, okay? A little more math with this. If the row of 30 people just regular walked, okay, maybe two miles an hour, maybe, for 36 miles, it would take 26 hours just for them to go one mile. Just to go one mile. But wait, there's 36 miles of those people for that 36 lines, just to march one mile would take 26 hours. Uh, are you, is your mind blown yet? Wait, one row. one row goes, all the way goes one mile it takes 26 If they're just just walking. Yeah. Or the whole thing. 26 hours. Uh, y'all, if you can't say that this is not the most miraculous moment in all of Bible history. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Let's have a little wake-up call to this reality, that the miracle that God performed was not necessarily just holding back the water, but it was moving 2.4 million people, just leaving one mile to get on the other side. And we don't even know how long, how distant it was. But just to think about how that had God held the waters back. We know this in Scripture at least a day, at the very least of the day. Because you see in Scripture how Pharaoh recognizes at the morning watch, right, that he starts to attack. He starts to go after the Israelites. And so at the morning watch, that is the first part of the day. So we know that it was at least 24 hours, at least that, to get everybody across the Red Sea. Y'all, God is at work. If he can move 2.4 million people across the Red Sea in 24 hours, and that is a low estimate, y'all, I think that he can handle your little problem. I think he can handle your anxiety. I think he can handle your fear. I think he can handle... Whatever trial you're going through. Maybe it's a divorce in your family. Maybe it's a dad that's abandoned you. I don't know what it is. But whatever it is that's causing the fear in your heart and your life, will you trust the Lord to do what he is good at doing? And that's protecting you. Y'all, this is such a mind-blowing moment. And a faith needle moment, right? He is trustworthy. He is faithful. He is faithful. The last thing, number four, is we need to celebrate the work of God. I'm going to wrap it up real quick. Y'all hold on, okay? Verse 31. After they got through the Red Sea and after they saw Pharaoh's army drown in front of them, They get across, and the waters are not held back anymore. And Pharaoh's army perishes right there in front of them. On the other side of the Red Sea, guess what? On the other side of the Red Sea, God did say, I will fight for you, and you will no longer see these Egyptians anymore. They get on the other side of the Red Sea, no more Egyptians. God was faithful to his promise to them on the other side. And they saw it happen right in front of them. Guys, that's you and me. If we would only recognize the work of God, if we would only understand and trust the work of God, that on the other side of our problems, maybe a month from now, two years from now, five years from now, on the other side of our problems, that we might be able to look back and go, God was so faithful to tell me that back then. And who I am right now celebrate the work of God. And this is what happened in verse 31. It says, when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared who? The Lord. And this is a different kind of fear. It's not the same fear that they had on the other side. That was a paralyzing fear. That was a terror on that side. This was a reverence fear. Different word here. Love the English language, don't you? different word for fear here they feared the lord and they believed in the lord and in his servant moses y'all that's a whole different tune and if you read in chapter 15 they write this incredible song of praise to god for what he had done they erupted in praise and they saw the work of god for the first like with their own eyes and they could not help but to go you're good god you're amazing my life is yours forever. Now, of course, if you know the story, they wander for 40 years because of their sin, right? But in this moment, they're like, wow, this is so good. And praise God for who you are and what you've done in my life. And hey, I, get, I bet you, <laughs> this is, I don't think it was a golf clap. You know, I don't think they're going, yay, God. <laughs> I think it was a, whoa, God wow, that's amazing. And that's the beauty of the Christian life. The beauty of the Christian life is the joy that we have is not an external joy. The joy that we have is an internal joy, a peace of knowing that he's got this and I can walk by faith each and every day, even in the midst of the wall of water that's all around me thinking the crash, I can find joy and peace in knowing that you got this and I'm trusting you, Lord. My faith is in you, God. My faith is not in myself. My faith is in you. Here's the final thought. You ready for this? Never underestimate, never underestimate the work and the power of God. Y'all, if there's ever an advice that I can give you for those that are stuck and paralyzed in fear, never underestimate the work of God. Don't put God in a box Never underestimate what God can do in your heart and your life. God can save the most farthest person ever. Amen. If you think your friend is so far from God, bless you. If you think God, your friend is so far gone, if you start praying for him, I bet you the work of God on his life, in and around his life, will start doing work. For you, and the situation that you may be going through, never underestimate the power of God. God, I don't think you can fix that. Oh, really? God, I don't think you can handle my situation. Oh, really? God, I don't think you could. Really? We have to recognize the work of God, allow him to do what he's good at doing, trust him, and then celebrate him all the way through it. Celebrate him all the way through it. Are you in the bondage of sin? Have you been paralyzed by sin in your heart and your life?